Hello, my name is David Vardabedian. Thanks so much for tuning in to Get Real Sobriety. Hope you enjoy the show. Scott and I have known each other for a long time. Long time being three years, two years. Uh, maybe two years. Yeah, all yeah. over two years. And uh, I don't know. I mean, what gets you out of bed in the morning, Scott? Uh, just the daily grind. Got to make money and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just, you know, want to continue to learn and grow. And I think uh, being young, <laughs> yeah, I have energy, so right. it's easy to get out of bed. I know, and it's cool. It's, uh, I mean, you have a great story. I want you to share some of that. But, um, you know, yeah, just dive into it. I mean, you know. Tell me a little bit about, like, you know, how how you got to sitting in this chair. You know, I mean, it's a long story. I mean, but you talked about, you know, like being in the Peace Corps, going to Cal Poly, and all of yeah. that. So, uh, well, <clears throat> I'm originally from Ojai, California, and uh, let's see, you know, drugs and alcohol were not really part of my story until. Uh, senior year of high school, um, I kind of, in high school, I just was really into football and being athletic and I didn't want to pollute my body. So up until my senior year, when I quit football, I just got burnt out and I was sick of it. That's kind of what dropped my guard and I kind of caved into the peer pressure of like, hey, just smoke some weed. You know, it always starts out recreational and just for, like, pleasure or for old time, you know, just like, oh, sure. Um, so, yeah, high school, I dabbled with drinking my senior year. Late bloomer, you could say, and smoking weed. Then I went to Cal Poly, which is a beautiful college in San Luis Obispo, California, and... Boy, just, you know, the guys that I was living with, they all were a little more groomed than me with uh, drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I wanted to fit in and they were, you know, like you go to college, you don't know anyone. So these are like your friends. But didn't your, you know, uh, are both or not both of your parents, but your dad's a, a therapist, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, alcohol, drugs and alcohol, they don't discriminate. Right. And, you know, my parents tried to teach me at a young age, like, you know, marijuana is not your friend. Right. You shouldn't be smoking it. You know, they prohibited it at our house and, you know, growing up. But brothers and sisters, I mean, college, you're you're unmanaged. Yeah. My older brother, you know, they would bust my older brother in high school for smoking weed. Right. You know, so I kind of had this fear, like, I shouldn't be smoking or drinking, you know. But you said that, you know, football was a big deal in your family. Yeah, yeah. We, I have a little brother and an older brother, and football was like our sport. Um, I mean, we played all sports, but football was the go-to. And, you know, we were trying to play college football, so I just, you know, have really hard work ethic and kind of uh, OCD, so I just would train like crazy and... But I just kind of got burnt out, you know, uh, and so I think once I said fuck football my senior year, it's kind of funny. That's like the the year that you want, 
that's like the ultimatum. You know, like that's your, varsity, your, your best, right? Yeah, yeah, your best year, right? But I just kind of got over it. I lost the drive, and and then I kind of just said, "Fuck it!" Like I'm gonna try smoking weed, and that is kind of the what do you call it? The gateway drug, right? You know, in college, I had. Were you drinking before that, or no? Not much. I have a really bad reaction to alcohol. I remember my first time I drank. It was, uh, I think, Smirnoff Ice, <laughs> and you know those are like really sugary. And I had maybe three or four, maybe five or six. I don't remember. I was in high school, and I just was puking my guts out um, that evening. You know, so like from the very beginning, I get very sick when and I'm weed was more your yeah, jug of choice yeah. right? any sedative anything that sedates right. me is what i'm about and so you know, then you said you were at cal poly right yeah and i just uh you know i got into surfing i was always into skateboarding um and snowboarding i'm pretty good at the board sports you know we had a six foot half pipe um when i grew up in our backyard wow. and then i stopped skateboarding once i picked up football and so getting back, going to Cal Poly, I kind of got reunited with board sports. You know, um, my parents are really good swimmers, so surfing came easily for me. And, you know, that was the thing you did. Like, you smoke weed before you go surf. Right. And so, I mean, was it like, okay, it's, now I'm in college and it's just like the party place? or? Um, I just think, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I didn't. I didn't do anything out of the ordinary, you know, like I was just like any other kid, but I just remember blacking out a lot while drinking and, you know, having adverse reactions, like just puking way more than all my other friends, you know, just, I guess my, I think I, I believe that I'm probably allergic to alcohol. Wow. Um, you know, I, I just remember like, I would get so fucked up before we left to go to the parties. Right. That I wouldn't, I would be too drunk to leave <laughs> to go to parties. You know, that was my freshman year. I just know, like, as the years went on, my addiction started to develop. Um, freshman year was recreation, sophomore year was, you know, using more marijuana. And then marijuana was always just my, my habit. Uh, drinking was every weekend, but you know, I, as the years went on throughout college, I just started to smoke more and more. And then by my senior year of college, I had knee surgery, and you know, I was prescribed opiates, and that was my first. Ooh, I would say, yeah. So the opiate, yeah. Dabbling of oh right. wow, this shit. And how great. old? How old? You're twenty nine. Twenty nine. So yeah. I would have been. I graduated in 2012, so I would have been 22. So what was the first opiate that you were prescribed? Gosh, see, I don't even know. It's like uh, Vicodin or Oxys? Yeah, or it was probably Oxycodone. Uh-huh. Oxycodone. Uh, and I didn't even know. I, didn't, I am so naive. Like I didn't know heroin was, was an opiate. An opiate. <laughs> you know, I'm just like... You know, I'm in pain for my knee, and I'm taking these pills, and then I'm realizing they make me feel good, so I'm taking more than prescribed. And for the knee, you only get a, you get like one uh, prescription container, yeah. yeah. And 
But you only need the pain pills probably for like the first three days, you know. Then the swelling goes down, and you're. And they always give you more than for three days, right? Exactly, just in case. And I. Just in case you want to get addicted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad they didn't. They didn't have more knowledge, and if they did, fuck them for not. Yeah. But I never got addicted to opiates. I just, you know, that was my first. I would say. Um, dabbling into opiates, you know, and I did acid and mushrooms and ecstasy and Molly like on occasion in college, but but you didn't. So after addicted. that, you really liked the opiates, but you weren't addicted to them. Yeah, right? I never. You know, I think it was just too much work to like go find a prescription, right, right. to get them. I always had marijuana, and coming from California, really good marijuana, right, and so that was enough for me and uh, then you finally graduated with uh you say a degree in- yeah ba in environmental science and then i'm waiting to leave for the peace corps i have nine months right so what motivated time. you or like what was the like i, I want to save the world or something uh, just i love to travel and living in foreign country uh, living in a foreign country seemed really attractive to and then what did you do just like google peace corps and go talk uh, to them or something no i remember learning about it in high school how was your health uh my health struggled my mental health I, i'd never had depression before the peace corps and when i left that country i have never been so depressed in my life i was suicidal and the environment was really difficult. It's extremely hot down there, and the humidity is out of this world. And then you add mosquitoes to that, and it's it's tough living conditions. Right. Um, so the last six months, I mean, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah. it's like the army or something. You have to give them two years, or can you leave and just you say, fuck this? You want. I mean, right. And I'm stubborn, you know? I just said, well, I've committed. I got to stick it out, you know? But I could have left. I, I guess I just don't want to be a... I considered myself a quitter if I left. Right. I eventually left, you know, came home, and... Excuse me. Um... I, it was a tough adjustment. To and where home. where did you come home? I mean, is that I, like I just go right back to my parents' house? Yeah, it went to my parents. You know, that's where my base was. You know, I just graduated college. I didn't have any property or anything. You go right. home, try to get back on my feet, try to readjust to the life in the United States. It's a vast contrast. So when you got home. It was, how was your mental state? It was tough. Uh, I was drinking pretty frequently. uh, And, you know, I still wasn't smoking weed. I had done a, I was like a year off of marijuana. Because of that cough thing, do you think? Yeah, and I was just so frustrated. Like, I have to smoke so much weed down here just to, like, get a little high. Right. It was just, the proportion wasn't right. And so I said, ah, I'm just going to drink, you know drink my sorrows away and you know you're isolated at night in the middle of nowhere so you drink right but then when you got home you're like i met my parents they're not allowing me to drink right but you find ways you know Uh, and then i eventually picked up smoking again once i moved out of their place uh i got a job 
in Ventura and I was living with, uh, you know, with some other people. And now you're 24, 25 years old, yeah. right? Yeah, I would have been, 20, I would have been 25 right. when I came home. And uh, the guy that I'm living with has a marijuana prescription. So you just order it and it's delivered to your house. So my smoking picked up pretty good by then. Did you sense that things, you know... My mental health was just too... I was just too unstable. Right. When I came home from Paraguay, cortisol overload, you know. I had a... Like, Paraguay, I came home with a lot of symptoms. Um, I developed a bruxism habit, like grinding my teeth. That's just from severe, prolonged stress. I had really bad insomnia. Uh, what else? Gosh, I don't even remember. There's other health problems that I came home with, but those are the two clear distinctions of, wow, this, like... Brux, like people grind their teeth when they're stressed out. You know, I right. didn't have that before I went to Paraguay. Came home with that. And now I have to sleep with a mouth guard because, or also grind my teeth down. And and did, what, did you feel like depression as well? Yeah, I was. I just had lack of motivation. I had a real bad anger problem, and it developed in Paraguay. Uh, I think just white knuckling. A lot of issues down in that country, feeling like I was hopeless. I couldn't really do much to help. You know, just like a white, like an alcoholic who's not drinking, who has no program. Right. You're just like getting by, but it's a struggle. And so I come home with like severe anger problems, just popping off at anyone, burning every bridge possible. And my parents and my brothers like really worried about me. You know, so I eventually just said, hey, like, I can't do this anymore. I got pretty suicidal. I tried uh, medication, but no real result. Were you seeing, like, a psychiatrist or yeah. psychologist at that yeah, point? Yeah, I was seeing a psychiatrist. I had been prescribed sleep medication and, I think, some um, antidepressants. Right. But... You know, that's a whole nother podcast. Like, yeah. It's really difficult when you're depressed as fuck and you're suicidal and you're being prescribed these medications. One, it takes time for them to kick in. And two, there's no guarantee. Right. You know, a lot of times they change up like, okay, this isn't working. Let's try a new one. So it's a slow moving process. Right. And they don't know how your body's going to react yeah. or the serotonin, you know, whatever. I think, it's you know, I mean, again, this is a whole other podcast yeah. and we're going to do that, like dual diagnosis and sobriety. But there's a lot of people that do benefit from it, you yeah. know. So I know. And I, then, so what yeah. brought you to treatment? Uh, I think I was just like in the dumps. I had hit my bottom. I was not wanting to live anymore. I was really angry, just drinking, you know, just out of boredom, loneliness, um, just like trying to numb myself. You know, being under the influence is the only thing that made me feel good. Right. Uh, but it didn't even make me feel that great. So it was getting to the point where it wasn't working anymore. Yeah, and so I didn't really have any other choice. And I, I had my insurance covered cottage rehab in Santa Barbara. So I just said, all right, I'm going to go. Were your and parents involved? They, said, like, they just were supporting me. I'm the one that said, I'm ready. Like, I'm going. Right. You know, a lot of times before I, I declined to rehab, 
you know, uh, family and friends telling me I need rehab. And I just said, fuck that. I'm not doing that. You know, so, uh, but now like that, I guess that's one thing I've learned. Like uh, the addict isn't going to get sober until he or she is ready. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if we're telling them to get sober. Ultimately, it's up to that person to be motivated. Did you have any experience with like 12 step stuff before um, that? I did one recovery. Uh, I did one like alcohol program through the count, the city of Ventura. Uh, but I was very resistant to it. This was after the Peace Corps. And I had to go to AA meetings and I really didn't like it. I was just, I also tried uh, Genesis and Ventura. It's a recovery program. And after like two days, I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this. What was it? Um, you, it's like group uh, therapy. Oh, okay. You show up in the evenings. I think maybe you have a counselor. and you Like just, an outpatient, you, yeah, intensive outpatient yeah, yeah, program. Exactly. Or something. I, I and I just remember I was, I hated it. Right. I didn't want anything to do with it. But Cottage, I was so desperate for change. I went in there, and I came out after three weeks. But what did you connect with there? Uh, I think I connected with my roommate. You know, you room with one guy. Uh, I I roomed with one other dude. We shared the same birthday, two years apart. He had a huge anger problem himself. A little on a whole nother level than me, like right. breaking TVs and, you know, and you're like, okay, this guy, I can kind of relate. Yeah, to. I'm like just like kind of a baby, a baby when it with anger, you know. I just like cussing people out, but I never was uh, f- used force. Right. And this guy was like violent, and just the struggle, you know. I really connected with him on low self-esteem, harsh inner self-critic, extremely critical of self. Like, we both had inner struggles. And, you know, I think also uh, just the struggle of the other residents. Like, we all come in there at a bottom. And I think my counselor there, my individual counselor, was great. You know, she really helped me understand a lot about my disease and... I learned like, hey, AA, they say God in the big book, but that doesn't, that can be whatever you want it to be. Right. And I really. Power greater than yourself, right? Yeah. I I really took that like, wow, okay. I I don't know. I opened up to it. Like, all right. So it can be whatever I want. So that that kind of was like, oh, wow. So you connected with, you clicked. I wasn't like, fuck this. Right. Before I was like, fuck AA. (laughs) Fuck this God shit. Because I don't come from a religious family. Right. I'm not religious at all. I don't believe in that. But I... But you felt a shift in your perception, right? I heard about God shots, you know? Like, just things happening either... Maybe it's coincidence, maybe it isn't. But I started to open up and see, like, wow, okay. Maybe I should give this a shot. And... As I started to get more sober, my mind opened up to like, whoa, this big book is amazing. Right. All the knowledge in this book is so well written. Everyone should be reading this book. Right. Like, there's so many life lessons that come from that book. Like, I think the one that points out 
that I remember the best is I think it's it says like when somebody does you wrong or doesn't treat you right instead of like hating on them or wishing ill will on them like like pray for them you know like right. I I hope this person can treat others better in the future I wish them well like treat that like uh react with like uh how do I say it have a reaction compassion. to positivity yeah, right. and compassion right. when they treat you poorly. Like that to me was like unheard of. Like what? And then, you know, I met up with you eventually. But I mean, before that was in, in the treatment program. So they have a psychiatrist there. They had put oh, you yeah. back on meds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got put back on, uh, I think what was it? Trazodone for sleep. Uh, I was on clonidine for anxiety. Uh, I was on, I think, Prozac for depression and Vyvanse, uh, Vyvanse for ADD. And which one's the speed one? That's Vyvanse. And that's yeah. like That's like a controlled meth, substance. Right? Yeah, uh, I took uh, a low dose and basically, you know, you get tested regularly um, I don't know how they would. Oh, and they prescribe you the meds in rehab. Right. You go to the counter right. and they give you the meds. So, so then, no once that you, so then you graduate from CRC. Three weeks, right. yeah, three weeks. And you're loaded yeah. up on all this this meds, and, and then you go to. Did they suggest go to sober living? Yeah, they do. They they say, hey, three weeks in rehab, that's nothing. Right. You know, to stay sober after like. You need more time under your belt. You need more support. And a men's sober living or a woman's sober living for a woman is the next best thing. And so Santa Barbara, lucky, you know, lucky for me, Santa Barbara is a big recovery community. Right. A lot of sober livings. What yeah. What made you choose the sober living that you did? Um, I think I visited various ones and that one... I just liked that they gave you three meals a day, and I liked the bunkhouse. Right. You know, you start out in the bunkhouse, like 10 beds. At, at Newhouse 2, right? Yeah. yeah. In the dorm, two. right? Newhouse 3 bunkhouse was yeah. like three bunk beds in a room. <laughs> yeah, right I was now. like, no. So honestly, I think it was, you start out in the dorm. Yeah. And I liked the idea that I get a single bed. Well, actually, no. They have bunk beds in... New house too, and I th- I'm pretty sure I got a top bunk. Well, it's so funny when I went to New House too. You know, years before in 1990, is that when I got to the dorm, there was no one else in the dorm. I was like the only guy in oh the whole place. It was like wow. I didn't even know what to do. Right. Wow. So that I guess one speaks goes back to your point of the population right. is like insane now. well and two I, I always hear in summer and it was in july that uh okay that there's like less less people going to recover Wait, you entered new house when in july yeah i the, entered in july as well oh wow yeah. but they said that less people go in the summer because it's so nice oh, out you know and then when it gets like yeah. shitty weather like there was people, a wait list um, oh wow for me i was like worried i wasn't gonna get a bed and that was a big stressor for me so you go in and then you have to get a sponsor and so yeah i got this like this guy who did a big book study every tuesday night at our sober living right. he ran it 
he knew the big book really well, you know, he seemed like a suitable sponsor. So I reached out to him and I think I got through step seven with him. I think I got to step seven. Right. Um, and then I kind of had enough of him after, I don't know, I'd say I was with him maybe two to three months. He just was very strict. You got to call me every day and like do this, do that. And I was like, no, like I don't, I don't like being told what to do, bottom right. line. And we kind of started to butt head. So then. You know, well, I love the story yeah. about like when you like. I heard you during her rehab uh, at, at where a speaker yeah. meeting, like the in big Gucci Santa Barbara Grace. Oh, Grace, we yeah, Grace. yeah. And I remember I was still full of hate, right? And I heard your story, and I just didn't like it. You right. know, I was kind of envious. Uh, and you're like, "Fuck this success. guy!" <laughs> yeah, I, it was like, "Fuck this." And but then, then you heard me again. You're like, fuck, I have to listen to this prick again yeah. or something. Where was that? I honestly was not wanting to hear you. Uh, I, it was in New House. I was in my sober living maybe oh, a right. few months in. And you came to speak at our Wednesday speaker meeting. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And But hey, I had to sit through it. And I think it speaks to the growth that I'd already made early on in sobriety. Like my mind started to open up. Uh, my mind wasn't on fire as much. You know, I was starting to calm down, get more sleep. I was uh, removed from the substance at least three months. Uh, and, yeah, I heard your story, and I just thought you'd be a much better sponsor. You seemed calmer, uh, less controlling, and uh, you seemed like a good fit, a positive influence in my life, so... I reached out to you, and uh, I'm grateful that you turned me on to that Deepak Chopra book. Right. The Seven Spiritual Laws to Success. I think that was like one of, you know, because we met, and I kind of, you know, any time, like I'm sponsoring like a guy, you know, I said, let's just meet. I don't even know if yeah. it's a fit, you know, so we met yep. for coffee. Yeah. And I thought, you know, and again, I don't go, it's not like, hey, I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what the word is. I'm like, it's like blasphemy to the program that I don't use the book. I mean, I use the book and I'm like grateful for the 12 steps. Yeah. You know, I've got 30 years of sobriety, but you know, I've like broadened my deal. It says in the big book, yes. a ton of places, you know, you've made a good beginning. We've just begun. And I'm really curious about other stuff. So yeah. I really connected with that Deepak Chopra yeah. book, the um, seven spiritual laws of success. Now I've, the first time I heard Deepak, and I actually heard him speak here at the Arlington oh, wow. in Santa Barbara years ago, like probably 25, 30 years ago. Oh, but wow. when he came out with that uh, quantum physics thing, you know, like, hey, we're all connected. And yeah. like, you know, I Law. think, you know, like yeah. Socrates even said it way yeah. back. Hey, I don't know if it's true, but I think, you know, Samantha was talking about that in her podcast. It's like, I think everything's fucking connected and it's like bingo, you know? And so then quantum physics comes out. Huh. But then I've read other books by Deepak Chopra that, you know, like he wrote a book on addiction. Mm, wow. And I was like, Whoa. this thing, you know, bro, stay in your fucking wheel, you know, stay in your, oh, yeah. stay in your lane, right? <laughs> and I just yeah. throw it out the window. But, yeah. and he should, he should fucking thank me because I've literally probably handed out a hundred of oh. the seven spiritual laws of success 
and you know me that it's more because I'm a real practical application. Do yeah. the work, get a result. Yeah. And so you connected with that book. God, it's so funny. Like I talk about this book and I've only read it once. Um, you know, I guess I'm speaking to the point of like change is difficult, uh, even in sobriety. And I, it, that book just really helped me when I first met you. You know, it was like a, it opened my mind to spirituality. Right. Like, whoa. And just kind of, you know, opened my mind about different habits I had that weren't working. And like this, it, the seven spiritual laws of success like made it really uh, easy to understand, applicable to my life. Right. And it was like music to my ears. So and what was, what did one of the, you know, because there, you know, obviously seven spiritual seven, laws, seven yeah. days a week. What was one of the laws that kind of stuck out in your head? I, I like the law of least effort because I'm the classic alcoholic addict trying to control everything and everyone. You know, trying to control the outcome and not really being a patient foe. Right. And lovely Steffer, you know, like, hey, relax, stop yeah. controlling, let things flow naturally. Well, and know? it's so programmed. I mean, it's, a, you know, the three parts are like, I'm in acceptance with the universe. Yeah. You know, I'm stop blaming other people for my situation and yeah. then I'm. You know, I, I remain defenselessness. I don't need to that convince every fucking person of my yeah. point of view and like, yeah. you know, just shoving it because people don't really give a shit. You know, that's why we like to lead by example instead of, you know, like, you know, by just like preaching, basically, you know, attraction. You know, you are attracted to the energy and, exactly. you know, whatever. I mean, not to be too hippie about it, but it's like, that that's that's what i mean it's like yeah law of attraction law right of there. attraction yeah yeah so uh that book helped me and i like you have recommended it to various people my all my family members have read it each one of them has a copy of that's the book awesome. uh, and they're you know my brother's girlfriends each have a copy like within my immediate family that book has really just been a changing force on how we look at things and it just really opened up our minds to a lot of things that we weren't even aware of before. well it's funny because i heard oprah was like interviewing him and he wrote that i guess wrote the outline or wrote the fucking book on an airplane like really? a flight like a long wow. flight wow yeah, and I like him. He's a good guy, That's man. Amazing. But like I said, he wrote a book on addiction. It was like, dude, stay in your lane, you know? Yeah. It was like, I don't know what he said that just kind of rubbed me. You know, some books just do. You know, I'll read like, you know, that yeah. Recovery 2.0, and the guy's like, yeah, I had a spiritual experience at a Grateful Dead concert, and I'm like, huh. one, right? Or, you know, but whatever. I mean, I'm being critical now. But the point about Deepox was like, Oh yeah, go back to something in your past. Like if you like like riding a horse or something. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe that works for some people. But you know, anyway, other stuff. But so, what were so that you were going? You were living at New House. You know, we were. I was sponsoring you. We were doing some of the. You know, we looked at like some. You know, step six and seven. And then what were some of the things that were rubbing you raw, raw in the wrong way about the twelve step programs? Uh, hmm. 
you know, or let me say, was there some things that you totally disliked about it? I think, honestly, I have no, uh, I have no problem with AA. The twelve steps of AA, you know, I think the AA Foundation is phenomenal. It's an amazing group. It's been the most successful organization to help you know people get sober and stay sober. Um, I think maybe more I have uh, reservations or even resentments to the AA program. I'm not one to be into cliques, and I find Santa Barbara to be a clicky AA. Right. You know, just the other night in Ventura at your speaker meeting, it reminded me that I always liked a Ventura AA better. Right. I felt like the community was more connected People were more encouraging and open. Like just at the, uh, at the birthdays, like everyone got to speak. Like how yeah, that was it? a trip. I didn't. Uh, I that was, was like, a different wow. format. You know, I like that. Like here, you only get to speak if you've got a year or more. You know, right. like I liked AA and Ventura better because it wasn't people calling on each other. It's just whoever wants to speak and speak. Right. I felt it was more free form, more accepting. So you started to pull off. From you know the twelve step yeah. programs here, and yeah. then what about the meds? I know, like, because when I, oh, yeah. you know, I forgot. Like, you just like. I think you know. I gave it time. I gave the meds maybe three months, and then I just kind of had enough. Like, I I did not feel that they were doing, like I was d- doing that much. Like, uh, I was like, am I doing better because I'm sober, or is it the meds? Right, and. You know, it's been my goal to just not, I, I would like to be pure. You know, I don't want to be on anything. Yeah. And so I just kind of at one point just said, fuck. You know, it's like me. It's the classic. I want to be in control. You know, I'm not going to listen to the psychiatrist. I'm just stopping this all at once, except for my sleep medication. I mean, did that fuck you up? I mean, were you like spinning Um, for? I think I had a really bad headache for like maybe one or two days straight, right? Coming off the Vivance, and that's a speed one, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, But after that, I was great, and then you know I slowly waned off the trazodone for the sleep medication. Maybe that took me another month, just cutting my pill down. Into like when it was eventually like just a crumb, you know, taking yeah. that at night. And then eventually I was off the trazodone. And, and how are you sleep? I sleep great now. Right. <laughs> I don't have any insomnia. That's and awesome. honestly, insomnia is like one of the worst symptoms. Like, de- oh man, it's so tough when you can't sleep. It affects your life so drastically. And you see, I saw life in such a narrow scope and i was and, so negative and you were three months or longer i mean wh- i don't even know how much time you had when we first met i think i'm trying to remember maybe right? six months or something right yeah i i don't recall no but i remember because you just you have a little over two years and i remember you taking your first cake you know oh yeah yeah so maybe we met six I want to say we met earlier than that. Yeah, I think three, three or four months. months. The in and the other thing is like, 
I don't want you struggling. You just weren't connecting. And so what was the, you know, what, what was like resisting? What's the resistance in that? I just struggle to connect with, I'm very, uh, I guess picky with the people that I connect with. Like I really connect with my family members. Uh, I really enjoy time with them, but I don't know. I haven't found my group in AA. Uh, I'm not sure why. I don't find in Santa Barbara that I've met many intellectuals, young intellectuals. And, you know, people listening to this may be like, well, <laughs> hey, I yeah, haven't met them. I yeah. come to these young people's right. meetings and they're not around. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I just haven't found people that connect with my age you know? do you feel like something you know or what's missing when you, you know? yeah i'm not sure man um i think i think a lot of it has to do with i'm not comfortable in my own skin and i'm making i'm finding all the reasons why i don't connect right. versus looking at how do we, how do we actually connect i think that's one area where i go wrong and two i just I'm the, you know, that's why I used drugs and alcohol because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I'm extremely anxious even to this day, um, and I'm really I'm judgmental of self. So I think that makes it hard to connect with others because I'm all, there's always chatter in my mind about what I'm doing wrong, why these people don't like me, why I feel uncomfortable. And I'm sober two years now, but social interaction is still really difficult. I've been to this young people's meeting here before, and I, I again, I found things I didn't like. Like these kids were these kids. I felt like the the age group, the average age, was a lot younger than me. I feel like I'm not even. I'm like a middle aged person. I'm 29. I right. don't know. I'm on the cusp of a young people's meeting, and. Like, a regular meeting. Yeah, so I came to him. The last time I came to this Young People's was a few, maybe a few months ago with another friend, and we both were just like, we didn't connect. There was way too much cussing. Like, I don't know. I feel like the feelings and the emotions were a little dramatic. Um, but, again... You know, it helps to speak out loud because we find area like we realize things like right. shit. I'm being very judgmental, and I probably I should do an inventory. But what? Uh, so I, I mean, know. with I all know, this social anxiety and uh, and and you know all this you know self you know talk in your head, what? Where's the connection that keeps you going? You know? uh, well, I don't want to go back to the hell that I was living. Right. Uh, before I went into rehab, my addiction, like being so unstable mentally and you like just making such bad calls, like drinking a half pint of liquor and driving my car, like doing that, driving on the one one and just like drinking Jack Daniels. Like that's so stupid. You know, my judgment was so off. And I hate being addicted to things like just and what, being how, how? So now it's better. Right. Like how is it better? Uh, I sleep great. I take care of myself. 
you know, I have a job that pays. Uh, I don't, you know, my job, I don't hate it. Um, my, the connection with my family is much better. I'm not hiding and avoiding, you know, I can show my emotions better. It's still not great. Do you involve like physical exercise? You know, yeah, kind of. exercise is so important. Last week I didn't exercise because I had like, I had left, you know, it's starting to get hot. So you leave your window open at night, and but it gets cold here at night still. Got a cold draft, and my neck was so screwed up for like three days, so I couldn't exercise. So, but I realized like, man, I was so off last week because I wasn't exercising. Right. So I try to run regularly, uh, surf whenever there is waves, go for a bike ride. You know, I ride my bike to work most days, uh, and just trying to eat healthy. Like I think I'm practicing better self care in sobriety. Right. You know, in addiction, that's a big change. I yeah, mean, no matter what, you know, you don't self care is medicating, and that actually results in lack of self care. Because I'm able to put up with more shit because I'm numbing, you right. know? And don't you know, you know, like we've talked about this before, is that, you know, when you change the way you look at something, the the things that you're looking at will change, you know? So like that spiritual, you know, awakening or spiritual, you know, experience is kind of a shift in your perception or a shift yeah. in how you respond or react to different situations. And, and it sounds like some of those things have happened with you. Yeah. I mean, my anger is, you know, I still get angry, but it's almost dissolved. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, have thoughts of ill will on others. Uh, I kind of just, so I think, you know, in sobriety, I am looking at things differently in terms of being less hateful because I've realized how bad for our body hate and anger and resentment is. So I need to keep that at a minimum right? in order to keep my stress low, too. And it's a great awareness. Um, I, I'm trying to be more trusting of others. Uh, and I think... I'm just like learning to grow up. Drugs and alcohol stunt our social maturity. I mean, I've, I heard that when I saw my first counselor, therapist, it was at Cal Poly. And the woman ran the substance abuse program at Cal Poly. There was like four guys that would show up. It was every <laughs> Wednesday. No one's trying to get sober right. in college. You know, but she told me like, Scott, the marijuana is stunting your social maturity. Like right. I, you're like a teenager. I was like 19, 20 at the time. And she's like, or maybe, you know, I was like 21 and she's like, you're like a 15 year old, you know? So I have a lot. I'm, I feel like I'm catching back up to my people, my age. Well, and I think it's staying sober and, you know, working a program, some kind of spiritual program yeah. is like, there's a sense of emotional maturity you know, we're just growing up, like you said, in the yeah. spiritual maturity. Yeah. So what what advice would you, you know, I mean, you, you say you're on the cusp of not being a young people, but you yeah. got sober when you were younger. Yeah. What would advice would you give to, you know, younger people trying to get, you know, you know, struggling with their addiction? Yeah. I just think, you know, if you can, if the person can get sober now, they're saving so many years on their life of 
no struggle, you know, like it, it was so, I feel like life is being wasted if you're in addiction and you're struggling, you know, uh, and I hear people who are older in the program always saying like, wow, you're getting sober young. Like, I wish I had done that. You know, I hear that time and time again, like so many years are wasted in addiction. And if, you know, young people can just curb the habit young they have so much their life will be so much fuller if you have any opportunity to get into a rehab do it right uh, if you don't have the money or the resources to get into rehab go to aa or na or ma because honestly that program the aa foundation saves more people than any other program right. and it does work but it's up to the person the addict or the alcoholic to make that happen. And then and all the resources are there. How do you feel about sponsorship, that kind of stuff? Uh, I think it's really helpful in the beginning, having someone who's been through the AA program, who has connections, who is there to support you. Cause beginning recovery is such a vulnerable time for the addict or alcoholic and they really need a support group. And I think sponsorship allows for that and it guides the person through a successful you know first like introduction into the program uh and i think it also i always hear sponsors say like it it does a number on the sponsor like it's a really positive relationship for sponsors to be sponsoring others you know it's giving back it's right it's what AA is all and about. And that's just been the greatest gift. I mean, for me, it's like not even, you know, and it's, I don't want to say evolved out of, I still, you know, sponsor a lot of guys, but, you know, because everyone's got a story, man. Mm-hmm. Everyone was a little baby at some point, you know? And so, you know, and people are like, well, there's a lot of mental illness. Yeah, there's a lot of mental illness and there's a lot of drug addiction out there. Yeah. But it's just looking at it. In a more compassionate Yeah, lens. it's like being humane and like, yeah. So, and these are human beings, right? That's a huge part. Right. How, you know, how willing is the person to listen, the addict, you know, or the alcoholic? Because a lot of times we think we know best, but I think a successful program requires that the person be open and compatible and willing to change because whatever they were doing wasn't working. I know. Well, Buck, thank you so much for coming. Um, okay, we're recording uh, from the Alano Club in Santa Barbara, and it's such a beautiful day. And Santa Barbara, so we're so lucky and blessed to live here. Um, we're going to do the fire round of questions. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say spirituality? Divine One. Awesome. What... If you could have anything today, what would that be? I'd probably still have to go with the barreling left (laughs) (laughs) in warm water. Exactly. And if you could give something today, what would that be? A helping hand. Nice. What do you know for sure? That I'm sober at this moment. Great. Scott, I love you, man. Thank you again for coming and and spending the time. This is Get Real Sobriety. 
I'd like to thank all the people that are involved in making this happen. Gerald Jones for producing and engineering this podcast. He's absolutely brilliant. Follow him on Instagram at Sonia HTML. His music is amazing. Maya Grace for her hair and makeup. I know what you're saying. This is a podcast. Why do you have hair and makeup? We just want to look awesome for each other. See you next time.